into this. Father, we do, uh, we thank you for that news. And Lord, we pray for tonight. We pray for our time here at Refuge, but we also pray for Harvest. That, Lord, some great things would happen there at the Anaheim Stadium. And that, that uh, Lord, uh, we would see even more than, than what's been the average over the last couple nights of people coming forward. We, we pray you would flood that field with unbelievers giving their hearts to you. And, Lord, here today we look forward to what you're going to do, what you're going to teach us. And God, once again, I know we're coming from a lot of different places, things going on in our lives and, and things in our heart. And, and uh, Lord, we, we are a people who desperately need our God. Whether we're doing really great or whether we're really low, we need you, Lord. And I pray that today as we watch and begin to understand, maybe from watching the failures of the, of the, the disciples, that that would, that would, Lord, motivate us, encourage us, instill in us a, a, a drive to get closer to you. And as we watch you face an incredible time and you face it with, with, uh, with the, 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 quote, the, the courage and the faith to go forward, I, again, I pray that that would motivate us and move us. So, Lord, I pray you'd bless this time that you'd have your way with each and every one of us and that, God, you would be glorified in this time. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> hey, if you remember, we left off. Jesus was in the upper room with the 12. So we're, we're right now, we're in the middle of his last night with his disciples. This is the end of the end as far as, as, far as his ministry before he gets resurrected. And, and you know, I like to emphasize, hey, he's going to do what is the most important to him during this time, and he's going to pour into those guys. Now, Matthew keeps it kind of brief. We, we just go through where he instituted what we call the Lord's Supper or communion, and, and it's real brief. For homework, you got, well, you got homework this week. For homework, you got to read John 14, 15, 16, and 17, because all of that went on that night so here's what's happened from from where we left off last time to now 14 15 16 17 of John have taken place so Jesus again there's some powerful stuff when when you stop and just read those chapters there's amazing things in there that Jesus was leaving for those 11 as he was ministering to them and then listen at that time now he's about to face the last temptation it's interesting to me how Jesus begins his ministry with temptation, right? Matthew chapter four, if you're not familiar, go back and read that. And he faces those three temptations. And how does he, how does he face those and how does he battle against those? You remember, what did he do, say? It is written, right? He faced them giving the word. Now we're gonna watch him in this last temptation. He's gonna have three temptations and how is he gonna battle these? through prayer. So we need to learn something. Listen, we need to learn something about, about warfare. Our most powerful tools in warfare are the word of God and prayer. If Jesus is doing that and he's our example, we need to draw from him and we need to understand that. And then also today, we're gonna learn something about the 12 or the 11. They're just like us. They're gonna blow it bad. And you know what? Sometimes we look at it and we go, man, those guys are so dumb. And then God would say, look in a mirror because you're not much different. You see, they're facing, you've got to remember, they're facing something 
for them horrific too, but they're not quite processing. They're not quite getting it all. So kind of keep that in mind. And listen now, we'll pick it up in verse 31. So we've done, done John 14, 15, 16, 17. We've had that time. They came across, they came to the, uh, the, the Mount of Olives singing a hymn. And then it says, and then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered but after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Now, here's what blows my mind is the last part of that. Listen what he says. I'm going to raise from the dead. Here's what I, I mean, listen, Jesus, Jesus was never afraid that that wasn't going to happen. He knew the resurrection was going to happen. He was confident of that. Well, number one, he knew his father, but he knew it was going to happen. And he told his disciples over and over and over and over. And right here, the very last night, here's what he says. You're all going to be made to stumble because they're going to strike the shepherd and the sheep are going to scatter. But you need to know something. I'm going to raise from the dead. They didn't get that part. They didn't hear that part. How do I know? Because they're freaked out when he raises from the dead. They don't understand it, and yet he told them here. He told them earlier on. I think this is like the fifth time he tells them, I'm going to raise from the dead, and all they hear is blah, 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 blah. And that sort of amazes me. Now, in this, he's quoting Zechariah chapter 13, and we're studying Zechariah on Thursday nights. And what's kind of fascinating, and if you take the context of Zechariah, Zechariah isn't necessarily prophesying about the Messiah. In one sense, he is, but there's, there's also a, a, a closer, remember, oftentimes they would prophesy and there's a current fulfillment and then a future fulfillment. And Jesus is a future fulfillment, but what Zechariah was talking about is the king, the king of Israel will be struck and all of Israel will scatter, all the sheep. Now, it sort of happens that way too. Israel scatters when Jesus is struck. So again, fulfilling Zechariah chapter 13 is interesting to me, and he lets him know that. Now, now you gotta hear, listen, once again he says, but when, after I've been raised from the dead, I will go before you in Galilee, or to Galilee. And verse 33, Peter. Oh, Peter. Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Oh, Pete, why do you do these things? He's like that child that just like keeps on giving. You know, and you're thinking, it's like, it's like, really? Now, a couple things, I want you to notice something. Even if all, here's what he's, here's what Pete's saying. Even if those guys stumble, those guys, you know, those guys, I'm not gonna stumble. One of Peter's greatest strengths, I think, was his confidence. One of his greatest weaknesses was his confidence. He's not hearing, listen, he's not hearing. Oh, by the way, that word stumble there doesn't mean like you, like you stumble, you're walking. That, that word more is like, it's a, well, we get, the, we get our word scandalized from that Greek word. So you kind of get an idea. It's, it's intense, it's serious what Jesus is talking about. You guys are gonna really, really, really blow it. And Pete says, not me. Remember, I'm the rock. Remember, I was the one who declared that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Remember that Jesus up, up there by Philippi? Remember when we were doing that up there? 
And I declared that, and Jesus would say, yeah, but I had to rebuke you right after that, and I'm gonna have to rebuke you right here. You know, so listen, and he has all of that, and we need to think about something here. Peter's not really listening to him. And there's one weakness that we all could have. And then Peter's full of self-confidence. And what he needs right now more than anything is confidence in the Lord and some humility and some understanding, but he's not getting it. So Jesus trying, listen, listen how much Jesus loves these guys. Jesus said to him, assuredly, in verse 34, assuredly, or truly, truly, or verily, verily, or hey, listen up, I say to you that this night, tonight, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Hey, right now, their time frame, it's about midnight. Maybe closer to 1 a.m. Here's what he's saying, before this night is over, Peter, you're gonna deny me three times. That's going to happen. Now, once again, do you listen to the Lord? And some of us are gonna shake our heads, yes. Might be better to say, or. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. But man, he's given them a major heads up here, isn't he? Peter, I'm telling you, listen, when he says assuredly, I'm telling you, this is a fact. I'm not guessing, I'm not predicting, I'm not saying maybe. Here's what I am telling you tonight, here's what's gonna happen. Before this night is over, you will deny me. Wow, don't you, don't you wanna hear the Lord and avoid those kind of things? Think of the heartache Peter could have avoided. But listen to his reply, it cracks me up. Peter said to him in verse 35, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And check this out. And so said all the disciples. So the other 11 are all chirming in, chiming in, or chirping. They're going, hey, us too, man. We're not going to do this. And, And now listen, man, they have this whole thing going on. And they're not listening to Jesus. They're not hearing his heart. And he's trying to minister to them. And they're not listening. And I don't think they're a whole lot different than us. So their first mistake that night is not listening to the Lord, not hearing from the Lord. And maybe even we can take it a little bit further, not believing what he says. See, it's one thing to read our Bibles. It's a whole different thing to believe our Bibles. And I think most of us think, come on, Pat, I believe my Bible. No, we don't. We kind of think we do, but there's times where we're just like, all we're hearing is blah, 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 blah as we're reading. So listen, man, they're, they're now, now I'm looking at them and they're moving towards, towards this edge and I'm thinking, come back, guys, come on, come on. So it tells us then, verse 36, then Jesus came, uh, uh, came with them to a place called Gethsemane. Now, before we finish this, you know, I, want, I want us to kind of get a picture of what's happening here. They've left the temple, they've left Jerusalem proper and, and those of us who have been there, You kind of get a picture, right? It's up kind of on the hill, right? And the temple mounts up there. We call it a mount. It's not really a mount. It's up. But Jerusalem's up high, especially the old city where the old walls are. That would have been where they were. They were up there. Now they've come down. They've come out of the eastern gate, and they've come down, and they've gone down into the Kidron Valley. And at that time, listen, at that time, there there was water flowing in the Kidron Valley. Oh, and that night, there was water mixed with blood because of all the sacrificial lambs for Passover. So imagine them crossing that and and seeing that blood in just a few hours. The Lamb of God 
is going to come and be crucified. But they're crossing that, and then they go up, and, and today we have all that paved way where we come down the, the Mount of Olives. I wish you would have never paved that. I wish it could still be. But hey, now they go up, and it says they come to a place called Gethsemane. All that means is olive press. So if you're coming to an olive press, bottom line, you're coming to an olive grove. They couldn't plant stuff inside the old city because it was so densely populated you didn't have. So you would plant outside and the Mount of Olives, shock, shock, was a great place to grow olive trees. So listen, all, all they're saying, we have to be careful because sometimes we kind of we get you know, spiritualized or look at things. All that they're saying is Jesus crossed over and went into the olive grove by the olive press more than likely owned by some rich guy. And I'm thinking Jesus, a friend of Jesus. It was the place he went often. So get that in mind. People ask me often about Israel and what is one of my favorite, you know, what is your favorite place? And I say, just about all of it. But this is a special place whenever we go there because we, we find an olive grove Used to years ago when I first started going to Israel, this place was more secluded. Nobody was going there. You have the place we go to is across the street from the Church of the Nations or whatever they call it where they have the 2,000-year-old olive tree quotes. And people are, you know, just, they, they go nuts about that. And we go over and we get in an olive grove and hang out for a while. And I love that spot. I, I, that, to me, that spot's so special. I, I think this time, this time I'm gonna try and sneak off and go over there about 1 a.m. Kind of sit there at night and see what it's like. These guys are there at night. And Jesus takes them in. Kind of get that picture. They're probably pretty exhausted. They've had a big dinner. We can give them some good excuses here. They've walked about a mile. And here they are, they, they enter that. So I just wanted to kind of set the scene because I think it's important. And it says, listen, he went to that place called Olive Press, if you will. And you know what's interesting about Olive Press is Olive Press is mostly just pressure. If you've been to Capernaum, they, they've got one of the ones with the big square stone that, that weighs probably close to a ton. And, and it just sits in a, in, a, in a receptacle that is about a little bit larger than it. And they would put olives in there and just lower that stone on it and just let it sit there. And the weight of the stone would press the olives. And that's kind of what's going on here, right? The pressure, Jesus is facing an intense, intense amount of pressure. So he's there at Gethsemane in the middle of verse 36, it says, and he said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. So he dropped some off at the gate, those of us who have been there, only the gate wasn't there, right? He dropped some off outside and here's what he's saying. You guys stay here and watch. I don't wanna be interrupted. I'm going in, I'm gonna pray, you guys stay here, keep watch, make sure we're not interrupted, make sure that, that I can just get alone time. Do you ever put up guards so you can have your alone time with God? Hmm, he tells him to watch and then, and then, verse 37, and he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, so Peter, James, and John, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Listen, man, Jesus comes to that place, and he takes the three, and these are the, the three in his inner circle, right? 
Hey, they've been to some phenomenal places with Jesus, haven't they? They went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. These are the three who went when he raised that girl from the dead. They were the ones that were, were part of that, and we've talked about relationships and how those work. But these are the guys, and he takes these three who are closest to him. Or maybe, you know, sometimes you keep, if you have, if you have a child that's difficult, that's usually the one you keep closest, right? So maybe these were the difficult three, and Jesus kept them the closest because he knew they would get in trouble if he didn't keep them close to him. I don't know. I'm kind of hesitant saying that because I'll have to see them in heaven and they might punch me. <laughs> but maybe they were those guys. But listen, Jesus keeps these three in a special place and he takes them. And then notice it says, man, he took them and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Wow. Do you hear what Jesus just said? He's overwhelmed. If there's ever scripture that points to the humanity of Jesus, this is it. It bothers me when people say, no, he wasn't fully human. Yes, he was. This is it. This is his humanity right now showing in great ways and he is deeply sorrowful. Not just a little bit, deeply. Now, why? what was the problem? What was the issue? As he's in that garden of Gethsemane, what was the issue? A lot of people think it's the issue because he knew he was gonna be crucified. He knows what's coming. He knows the beating. He knows everything that's gonna happen to him. Was that what was overwhelming him? I don't think so. You know, a lot of people face horrible deaths and they face them pretty brave. I believe the thing that was bothering him right here in this moment is the idea that he is going to be made sin to take away the sin of the world. And that had to be overwhelming to him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says this, for he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And Jesus knows he's facing that. Here's what he knows. He is facing the judgment, the wrath of God for the sin of man. That had to be intense. It had to be intense as a humor, hum, a human into this father we do uh, we thank you for that news and into the god into the into this father i hope you understand that jesus has always been the second person of the trinity we can say jesus never there wasn't never a time where that second person of the trinity didn't exist god has always existed most of us agree to that right if you don't agree to that see me afterwards we'll talk about that, that god's always existed but God has always existed, and God has always existed into this Father, into the, into this Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they've always, listen, they've always been together, so to speak. Can you imagine the idea of being separated from somebody that you've been together with for eternity? I've said it before, I kind of liken it. Hey, I've been with my wife almost 49 years now. And we did get married when we were four and five. <laughs> but, well, actually, we got married like negative four and five. But I can't imagine, for me, with her, I can't imagine life without her. 
well, with you, somebody for eternity? Can you imagine what is weighing on him at this point? The intensity of just understanding that, that that is coming. And he says, man, I am deeply sorrow even to death. And he says, hey, guys, hey, guys, stay here and watch with me. Stay and pray. That's all I want you to do is watch and pray. That's pretty simple, isn't it? But do we do it? Hey, we're going to get on him. Look what happens. He went a little further and fell on his face in verse 39. Fell on his face saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. We always get up tight, man. They were sleeping. Do you ever fall asleep praying? Do you ever fall asleep reading your Bible? Sure. Come on, we, you know, hey, I don't want to give them excuses. I'm not going to give them the excuse it's late at night and they ate a big meal and they walked a mile and they're tired. I, I, I get that. But Jesus just poured his heart out to him and said, guys, I am facing something that is unbearable to me. Can you watch and pray? <sighs> Have you ever noticed... You know, when I get up to do my quiet time, I do my quiet time on an iPad. I like having an iPad. I keep my Bible on an iPad. And, you know, some people I know think that's not holy. I've blessed my iPad. <laughs> but I like to do my quiet time on an iPad just because it's easy. I read everything that I read on an iPad now. All my books are on an iPad, and I just, I just function that way because I like it. I like the idea that I have every translation of the Bible right there in my hand. I have every book that I need for study right there in my hand. Anyway, so I'll get up and I'll, I'll do my quiet time and sometimes I'll think, well, I'm gonna check the news first. You know, and I'll go to a couple different news sites and wide awake doing those. Then I go to my Bible and it's like I read a paragraph. Now, why can I stay awake reading the news but I can't stay awake when I read my Bible? Because I have an enemy of my soul. You see, and the problem with these guys is they're not recognizing, number one, their own weakness, nor are they recognizing the power of Satan over this situation. And they're not facing that head on, and they're not looking at that. They're not listening to him. Hey, if they were listening to him, they would realize this has to be the battle of all battles. And Jesus goes into this battle, and what does Jesus do? He falls on his face. Did you hear that? He fell on his face. When was the last time you got on your face to pray? Most of us say, I don't do that. Hey, get on your face. When you start smelling the carpet, here's what you know, man. You can't get much lower than this. And it brings some humility in your life. Now, listen, I'm not saying that's the only way to pray, but do it once in a while. Just get down there. And Jesus is on his face, and he's crying out to his father. And it's interesting here, he says, oh, my father, not our father, my father. Now he's being very personal. And then he says, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. You know what that tells me? That there is no other way to heaven. There can't be. Because Jesus just said, if there's any other way, let's do that. And Jesus went to the cross. When people tell me that as a Christian, I'm awful narrow, here's what I tell them. No, I'm not narrow. If you want to know Jesus, if you want to have, just come, come. You're more than welcome to come. Well, I don't want to. Well, you're being narrow. Listen, Christianity is not, is not exclusive. If anything, Christianity is inclusive. All you have to do is come to him. 
And so Jesus says, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Think about what he's saying, cup. What is he saying when he's saying cup? What is he thinking about? Hey, what was written during Jesus' time? The Old Testament. What does a cup represent in the Old Testament? Go back and read your Old Testament. I would tell you do, you know, just read your whole Old Testament for homework, but you guys aren't going to do that. So you can read these few verses. In Psalm 75 and Isaiah 51 and Jeremiah 25, all of them talk about the cup, and it's the cup of God's wrath. And Jesus is saying, I don't want to drink that cup. Here's what he's understanding. He's about to face the wrath of God, the eternal wrath of God. And he says, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. And then he ends it with what I love, but not my will, but your will be done. I get uptight, you know, some of the faith teachers and some of the current you know, teachers that teach, you know, so there, there's people, how do you pray intentionally and all of this stuff. It just really bugs me because they say, you should never end a prayer with that. Well, they might want to talk to Jesus because here's how he ended his prayer. Lord, let your will be done. When I pray for people, I often pray that, especially when I'm praying for sick people. I, I commit them to the will of God. And Jesus is saying, hey, it's your will, not my will. Do you want to bend your will towards his will or do you want to bend his will towards your will? Most of us, if we're really honest, we want to bend his will towards our will. And Jesus here is teaching us we need to bend our will towards his will. And 90% of my prayers, the answer is this, no. We don't like no. We don't like no when we're kids and we don't like no when we're big kids. And God says no, and we go, God's not answering my prayers. Yes, he is. He said no. Remember that. So Jesus cried out. Listen, he cried out, and then it says he came to his disciples, found them sleeping, and said to Peter, don't you love it like he picks on Peter, right? Hey, Peter, what? Could you not watch with me just one hour? What's up, man? You guys couldn't even pray for one hour. He's a little bit shocked, I think. Come on, guys. Like, this is, the most, this is the most horrific night of my life, and you're just snoozing away, and I told you to watch and pray. And then he says, listen, watch and pray, verse 41, lest you enter into temptation. Oh, they're going to enter into temptation. Why? Because they didn't watch and pray. They didn't believe that Satan was involved. They believed they had the strength to do everything, and they're sleeping. By sleeping, here's what I interpret. They're indifferent towards what's going on. They're not really believing everything he's just told them. So it says, listen, he says that you don't enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. That is not a verse for you to claim. I hear people doing that all the time. Well, I'd really like to do it, but you know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. <laughs> Stop it. It's not a good verse to claim. Oh, there's truth in that. But here's what he's saying, man. You guys have a battle to fight. And if you try and fight it in the flesh, you're going to lose. Think about that in your life, saints. You go into this spiritual battle in the flesh, you're going to lose. I remember years ago, I was witnessing to a couple of uh, lesbians who lived above us in Bisbee. Not above us, above us, but up on the hill above us. And I went into their house and a witch, remember Bisbee, and a witch had gone into their house and written some profanities and things with lipstick on their mirrors. 
And they called me because they knew I was a pastor and they knew she was a witch. And they called me and they said, hey, what can we do? And I said, you can do one thing. You can accept Jesus Christ right now. And God will protect you. Or you can do nothing and you're dead meat. I go, you choose. They chose nothing. And Gaynor said, you just told them that? You, you know, she's with me. You didn't like, you didn't, we were nice. You didn't, you know, you didn't candy coat. I said, no, it's either Jesus or you're going to battle her in the flesh and she's going to win because she's coming at you with some demonic powers and you can't beat demonic powers. And you and I need to understand, listen, this is spiritual and we cannot fight the spirit in the flesh. And so, yeah, our spirit is willing. Maybe our flesh is weak, but it doesn't matter when we yield our hearts and lives to Jesus. We don't need our flesh. So Jesus is giving them a hint of what to do. And again, the second time, verse 42, he went away to pray saying, oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Oh God, I'm ready to do it now. And then he comes back. Listen, he comes back and it says, and he found them asleep again for their eyes were heavy. So he left them. It's kind of like he went, all right. And he left them and he went away the third time. Listen, three temptations as he goes away. Can you imagine the battle that was going on as he was praying? The intensity of what was coming, throwing at him as he's praying that? Can you imagine just the temptation? Hey, Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. There's a different way. There's a better way. Isn't that what he tempted him with in the wilderness? You know he's coming. He was waiting for a better time. Go back and read that. He waited for a more opportune time. Don't you know that's happening right here? And Jesus kept praying. We didn't get all the details. Listen, and most of this had to come from Jesus after he rose from the dead to tell the guys what were happening because they were sleeping. So listen, he went back that third time and it says, listen, and and he came and he found them asleep again for their eyes were heavy. So he left them in verse 44. He left them, went away again, prayed the third time saying the same words. Now Luke lets us in on something that's pretty intense. Luke says he swept drops of blood. There is a medical condition where a person will suffer so much anxiety and so much stress that the capillaries near, the, near their, their skin will begin to burst a little bit and mix with those sweat glands and you will actually sweat blood. It'll mix in there. So, hey, who, who's the one who recorded that? Luke, the doctor. He's the doctor. And he says, man, that's happening. That's some intensity. Can you imagine Jesus coming back and saying, hey, guys, and there's kind of droplets of blood kind of? That would, that would be a little bit intense. Like you'd think, wow, was I asleep that long? What is going on here? And he comes back finally, and here's what he says. Look at verse 45. And he came to his disciples and said to them, are you guys still sleeping and resting? What's up, boys? Now, the King James says he came to them and said, sleep on. I think that's just a bad translation. And a couple other modern ones have kind of followed that. No, he's asking, are you guys, he's waking them up. He's not telling them, keep on sleeping. He's waking them up. But notice what he says, man. Are you still sleeping? Listen, behold, the hour is at hand. The son of man is being, being, current, right? Being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Here's what's going on. He's waking them up and coming down that hill from Jerusalem and coming down across the Kidron Valley is a whole army of Roman soldiers coming after him and he can hear them. He can hear their swords clanking. He can hear what's going on. He knows exactly what's happening. And he says, hey guys, wake up, it's time. It's going down now. You talk about, you talk about freaking out. 
I would hate to wake up on that scene. And now you've got this, and, and Jesus is saying, hey, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Check out verse 46. Rise and let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. He says, get up and let's go. Now listen carefully. He wasn't saying get up and let's go and go over the mountain to Bethany and hide. Here's what he's saying. Let's get up and go and face those guys right now. Woo. It's time. And those guys are... Oh, man, what is happening? What is going on? And they're all freaking out, and they're all groggy, and, you know, Peter, we're going to read, gets a sword, cuts off a guy's ear. You know, it's just a mess. Why is this such a mess? Because they were sleeping. They didn't believe him. They didn't trust him. And they were counting on their own strength. Saints, if we can learn anything from this, here's what we need to learn. Number one, God is in complete control, total control. Number two is we need to admit, understand, and accept our weakness. And we need to be people who believe God. And when God says something, we need to believe him and we need to trust him. And you know what? Then, then spiritual warfare becomes a little bit more fair. I'm not gonna say you're always gonna have success, but it comes to, becomes a little more fair. You go on your own, you're gonna be like those girls who lived above me in Bisbee, and you're gonna be in some serious trouble. Trust him, trust him. You see, I think, for me, this is one of the most sacred passages in Scripture. We're walking on some sacred ground here, and this is an intense time for our Lord, and we need to understand that. But even greater than that, here's what we need to understand. He never quit teaching even in the midst of circumstances and hard circumstances, he's still reaching out to the 11. Come on, guys, let's do this. But you talk about sacred ground, this is it, man. This is where our salvation, to me, happened. Oh, yeah, he's gonna go to the cross, and we're gonna read that. And that. I mean, this whole section is pretty sacred when we get it. But it was decided right there, right then, Satan came and lost that battle, and Jesus won. Let's stand up and pray.